When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Alright, welcome to the 86th episode of the What If Football podcast. The Champions League final is upon us. So too is a return to Le Grandes Equipes, the podcast where we nostalgically look back on seasons gone by in the Champions League. We are looking at 2004-05. Let's get stuck straight in. Yes, 2004-05, where the holders were Porto and they were drawn in a group with Chelsea. And we do start with the holders, as always, in Porto. But before we do that, I think it's I think it's right that we have a look at the, the changing landscape of football, at least here in the UK, because Champions League football, for the first time, it seems has uh, drifted away from the sole hands of ITV and now has been split by Sky Sports and ITV, but with the most part of the games being shown on Sky, which was very, very sad times for the majority of viewers in um, in the United Kingdom. Now, of course, we know Champions League routinely is held behind a paywall, um, which has been the case since this year since 2004 so we're nearly on for a generation that is an entire generation where the majority of people won't have been able to get access to the Champions League now of course Sky TV was was probably one of its peaks right now in terms of the amount of people who are willing to pay for that broadcast subscription but in 2004 I think I was fairly lucky to get Sky in 2000 um, but before that my only time really watching live football. I got into football, 98 World Cup. 
So my first year of watching football was primarily through the Champions League, which is why I remember, obviously, 98-99, fantastic time to get into football and in the Champions League, of course, certainly. Probably one of the many reasons why I was um, so stringently a Manchester United fan and, and am today is because the majority of the football live football I saw was Manchester United Champions League nights, Clive Tilsley, Ron Atkinson to a lesser extent, but Clive Tilsley, Manchester United, Champions League, etc. Obviously Arsenal would would uh, drift in and out, Chelsea sometimes too, maybe even Leeds, but uh, the, for the most part, you only could really watch the FA Cup one or two games, three, maybe four, a push in the, uh, in the entirety of the season. The Champions League, for quite a lot of people in club football represented in Britain, a chance where you could watch live football, the majority of your live football, if you didn't have access to Sky or any other paying subscriptions, which in the late 90s, early 2000s, probably the majority of people, um, maybe was the majority, maybe this was a big jumping on point for Sky and people to buy Sky in 2004 because of the Champions League. But enough of that, we'll go to, as we promised, looking at the holders, Porto, they're conveniently, at least for this narrative, um, for this format of this podcast, drawn in a group with their former boss, Chelsea and Jose Mourinho, where the real holders lineage really continues because Porto really lost a lot of their lustre once Jose Mourinho had departed after the Champions League final against Monaco for Chelsea to join the uh, the project and uh, Roman Abramovich at Stamford Bridge. We mentioned last time on Le Grandes Equipes, if you can remember that far back a few weeks ago, that um, Mourinho had had a, probably cross paths, ships in the night with uh, one Marseille forward. Yep, he went by the name of Didier Drogba, didn't he? He did quite well in the UEFA Cup. They got to the final loss to Valencia, but now Didier Drogba alongside Petr Cech. They're all into the... Chelsea machine alongside Ricardo Carvalho, Paulo Ferreira, more pertinently to Port, from Porto to Chelsea. Deco had gone as well, but um, he had gone to Barcelona. So Chelsea really were the favourites, not only for this group, but for the Champions League as well. And they'd racked up four wins, probably no more so simpler than, than in the 3-1 against Porto. And that, with four wins on the board confirmed top whilst Porto had just two points going into the final group games. Benny McArthur, the winner in Moscow, scored the winner at home to Chelsea as well in the final game. Mourinho giving a little bit back to his former club there as uh, as Porto managed to eke beyond the two teams we've not even mentioned yet, CSKA Moscow and Paris Saint-Germain. But in Group F, probably, maybe... The group of death, although Group C probably would have a lot to say about that. Uh, group F is AC Milan, Barcelona in their return to the Champions League, Shakhtar Donetsk and Celtic. Milan, of course, failed to get beyond the uh, quarterfinals last time out. Deportivo in that comeback, Barcelona were in the UEFA Cup. Meanwhile, Shakhtar Donetsk didn't, didn't make it either. Celtic were barreling out of the group stages despite topping their group going into the final match day. Now Barcelona had Ronaldinho and he was at the peak of his powers here. He could cause a lot of problems for Milan. Milan could probably get some uh, problems delivered straight to them as well in travels to 
Donetsk and to Glasgow when they met the other members of the group. But unfortunately for the competitiveness of this group, losses for Shakhtar, for Celtic on the opening nights really set the tone. They were beaten on the second match day as well and with them trading wins instead of one team getting the leg up on the other it was fairly obvious where everything was going. Milan and Barcelona were easily through um, and it was just points needed in any way, shape or form for Milan and Barcelona on the penultimate match day to get them both through. And um, and they did. Uh, Milan had the head-to-head over Barcelona, so Barcelona were essentially powerless, uh, limped through um, with a 0-0 draw against Celtic. Meanwhile, Milan's 4-0 over Shakhtar, really ramming home that advantage as, uh, as really the... The predicted teams from Group F go through, as well as Group H, to be fair. In Group C, though, one big name was to bounce out of the tournament. We've spoke of in the past two episodes of this podcast that Bayern Munich haven't had the best of it, let's say. They went out in the 2002-03 season with just two points to their name from the first group phase. Then in uh, the previous season, 2003-04, they went out in the last 16 to Real Madrid. Now... They are occupying Group C alongside Ajax, a mammoth of European football, but let's be honest, haven't really done much, well, of any note for quite some time. They had a quarterfinal in 2003. That's probably the the best they've done in in a while now. Juventus as well are in Group C and um, Maccabi Tel Aviv are in there, uh, shaking in their boots in the corner of the room. Obviously, they go out, finish dead last. Um, Ajax, probably if one team was to bounce out of the tournament, you'd expect it to be um, to be Ajax. But Bayern Munich, they, they were powerless domestically the previous season. Werder Bremen, who we'll be discussing later on, um, they were the surprise double winners in Germany, winning the Bundesliga, winning the uh, winning the Pokal as well in 2004. Even as they were under new management as well, so nothing was really set in stone, really, when you de- dig a little bit deeper under the surface. Fabio Capella was in. Uh, because Marcello Lippi had um, taken the national team job because Italy had done so well at Euro 2004 in bouncing out of the group stages. And um, Juve, they pretty much one-nilled their way to quite literally the last 16. Milan, we spoke of a couple of seasons back, did do that in the second group phase. Juve would have done that perfectly all six games, but Maccabi Tel Aviv scored in Israel. So absolutely ruin it. Five one-nils and a one-one draw. And... Um, the sixth match day ensured uh, we would find out who would join them. Roy Mackay delivered the goals to help join Bayern Munich in uh, help join Juventus for Bayern Munich in the last sixteen. He scored three goals against Ajax in a four 0 win, and um, Bayern scored five goals beyond Maccabi Tel Aviv, and that was enough to follow Juventus. Could have been a tricky group, but was fairly cut and dry thanks to goals in the end from Roy Mackay for uh, for what is really not by this point very much not the Bayern team of the the 99 final the 2001 final and Juventus really just clinging in there we, we might not see them for too much longer in the Champions League because of um, certain off the field incidents uh, domestically but uh, let's save them whilst we uh, whilst we can and group D uh, group B rather Real Madrid of course they're playing Roma as they do almost all the time. Um, in terms of the Galacticos experiment, wasn't really working, was it? Barcelona had um, rolled back and um, qualified to qualified for the Champions League in La Liga. Valencia had won La Liga. 
Real Madrid hadn't won the um, won the league since 2003. They'd not won the Champions League since 2002, despite having a glut of talent. Zidane, Figo, <laughs> Beckham, Raul, Ronaldo, Carlos, etc., etc., etc. From the last time they won the Champions League, they beat Leverkusen. Leverkusen, another member of this group here. And those were the three teams expected to jostle it out for the two qualifying spots for the last 16. And... Um, Real Madrid, really, it was probably the first year that they didn't really get a Galactico in um, Florentino Perez's presidency, really. Figo, 2000, Zidane, 2001, Ronaldo, 2002, Beckham, 2003, 2004. They tried for Francesco Totti, didn't get him. Um, in the end, they ended up with uh, Jonathan Woodgate, <laughs> Michael Owen. Um, yeah, didn't really go the way they wanted it to, really. And um, the group was really marred by Anders Frisk and his um, assault from the uh, Roma fans, really. Um, it turned a 1-0 deficit for Roma at halftime into an automatic loss. Roma lost twice to Real Madrid as well. And um, effectively, Leverkusen, all they needed to do was uh, get their head-to-head -head advantage over Roma, which they did to effectively qualify, really. Um, Dimitar Bobatov in superb form. His goal in Rome was magnificent. Chip over the defender, chip over the goalkeeper. Incredible. And Roma, after um, suffering that automatic loss, lose to Dynamo Kiev again, and, and they... Um, they bounce out not only out of the Champions League, but out of Europe as well. And because of that, those wins over Roma, Dynamo Kiev find themselves on 10 points in the final match day. Real Madrid lucky to have not lost in Kiev um, as well in the build-up. But um, Leverkusen and Real Madrid would uh, safely just about follow um, follow them each other into the uh, into the last 16 with Dynamo Kiev at the last second, really. On 10 points with Leverkusen and Real on 11, they go through to the last 16. Leverkusen topping the group with a with a 3-0 win um, over Dynamo Kiev, whilst Real Madrid were able to uh, were able to get that win over Roma, as we have already discussed. Now, G Group G, where we look at Bayern Munich conquerors in Germany, Werder Bremen, and we look at Valencia, double winners from 2004, and Inter Milan. Quite the group, obviously Andelix as well, but regardless. So Valencia are really suffering from the same plight that um, that Porto are doing at the minute, really. But they don't have the extreme departures where lots of players followed Mourinho to Chelsea. Valencia have really kept their tight-knit group, really. Rafa Benitez has moved after the UEFA Cup final win over Marseille. He's moved to Liverpool, but he opted not to... Uh, Signed players from Valencia, signed Xabi Alonso and Luis Garcia as well, um, instead of utilising that talent pool of Valencia. Werder Bremen, as we spoke of, won the double in Germany and into Milan. Off the pace uh, against um, against Juventus, but um, would, would go on to win those titles back. But uh, more on that another time, let's not forgets um and the were, were they were a bit of a fawn in the side of the their opponents the previous year but this time around they lost all six and in terms of um Werder Bremen Ivan Klasnik scored five in the two games against them rubber stamping Werder Bremen's credentials in terms of uh, in terms of qualifying and in terms of Inter Milan they wouldn't suffer 
any ignominious defeats here. Adriano's finally stepping up to the plate of of sort of usurping Ronaldo and sort of the transition there from his his departure two summers back. Hernan Crespo had tried, he's now at Chelsea. Christian Vieri had tried, didn't stick around long either. Adriano here is the one that finally looks like Inter Milan um, will step up to the plate. Inter win 5-1 in the Mestaya against Valencia, which goes somewhere to uh, demoralising Valencia and seeing Inter Milan through when they confirm top spot with Obafemi Martins equaliser in Bremen and uh, Valencia's own 2-1 defeat in uh, in Bremen means that uh, Bremen follow Inter Milan through. So unlike last time out where we had quite the open field, we do have some huge names for uh, the likes of Werder Bremen and Porto. We could we could lump Porto in, even though they are holders, we can lump them into perennial underdogs really but uh, Chelsea amongst the favourites Milan and Barcelona the favourites Juventus by Munich certainly favourites Real Madrid are as well into probably on the, the 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 fringes of that and in group D we've got Leon and Manchester United vying to be amongst those and they play Fenerbahce and Sparta Prague we all knew about Leon's danger now in previous episodes we've discussed how how close they'd gotten the the slow progression they had from getting through the groups getting into the knockout phase which they finally achieved in 2004 and not only that they got to a semi-final something that they've only repeated twice since um of course in 2020 against Bayern Munich and in 2010 against of course Bayern Munich and um they could easily be described as dark horses to even win the thing and let's be honest after Porto's win all bets are off Leon still dominating France of course and I seem to remember that the first game was played at the Stade Gerland between Lyon and Manchester United. I seem to remember that um, as a United fan, feeling fairly pessimistic about this one. United had finished third, which is their lowest Premier League um, finish under Sir Alex Ferguson, and or um, well, joint lowest after 2002's third place as well. But this was quite a distant third away from. Uh, away from Chelsea and Arsenal, as opposed to the 2002 third, which they kind of lost second place on the final day. It's probably the most pessimistic had been as a Man United fan, obviously. <laughs> Much bigger depths have been plunged since, so to speak. Man United were a household name by this point, but um, they didn't really, they weren't really doing anything to deserve it. They, they were fortunate to draw in Leon. They um, had Cristiano Ronaldo coming in for David Beckham, hadn't hit the heights yet, still a bit too young. They had Ruud van Nistelrooy still banging in the goals, but injuries were taking the toll for the uh, for the Dutchman again. And uh, Wayne Rooney, of course, made his debut. New signing for United, scored a hat-trick on his Champions League debut, on his Man United debut as well, in a in a rout over, um, over Fenerbahce there. And Ruud van Nistelrooy scored four goals against Sparta Prague. And a win back at home against Lyon only had them qualified it had them the head-to-head over Leon, but that wouldn't matter because Leon, Leon were pretty um decent on their travels they won two of their three games and um, probably had the more recent big game experience in the champions league over man united as uh, as bizarre as that sounds even now really and uh and yeah, so Nilmar scored um, the goal that sent Leon through against Sparta prague absolutely mind-boggling um, goal and uh just rolled it in um Keeper sat on his ass, and uh, Leon were through, and Manchester United would join them as um, as inferior. I think it's no no um, great stretch to say that. 
We'll end the uh, first group stage, or only group stage, thankfully, with the remaining English representation. We've got Arsenal in Group E against PSV, Panathinaikos, and our boys, and your boys hopefully too, Rosenborg. And um, PSV, they they were hoping to right uh, a few wrongs of previous year's failures. Now, I mentioned... um, in episodes gone by, they've not really got on, gotten over Ruud van Nistelrooy's departure. This has now been three years in the making now since he's gone. Um, but he really was the player that was banging in the goals left, right and centre. They may play good football, but they were just not finding enough goals. And usually Ruud van Nistelrooy was the man to do that. So in 99, 2000 and uh, up until his injury, really. Um, in terms of Arsenal, still undefeated in the league. Um, that Obviously, that run would end midway through this. And uh, it was, um, they were amongst the favourites, but again and again and again in the in, in Europe, in the Champions League, they, they always seemed a rung below, a bit off it. Um, but here, tough away games were navigated, draws in Trondheim and Athens. Now, I'm not going to go through the same tired those are hard places to get points. And by this point, really, in 2004, they were becoming less and less so, really, especially Rosenborg, unfortunately. No more Sigurd Rushfeldt, no more Harold Bratback. Um, our boys, our legends, the uh, the kingpins of Le Grandeza keeps, really. But uh, Rosenborg hadn't done anything for a while. I think we should uh, I think we should lay them to rest as we... Uh, as we prepare to take a break for the uh, for the 2022-23 uh, season, when we return with this in the uh, in the autumn, there. But Arsenal, they, they didn't have any of the jeopardy that they had the previous season, where they had to go to Milan and um, essentially win five one to uh, get themselves into contention to qualify. Here, it was relatively simple, although they were they were um, second going into um, the final game, really. They they won their most difficult game um, against PSV, but they drew in Eindhoven. They needed a win to be sure of, of qualification. And um, PSV, if they won in Athens against Panathinaikos, Arsenal would be fine, but um, they got pumped 4-1. Um, thankfully, though, Arsenal were, uh, were destroying Rosenborg themselves, so... With four points between PSV on 10 and Panathinaikos on 6, it didn't really matter to PSV, really. They were already through. And um, Arsenal just about crept in as their group winners there in Group E. A little bit more comfortable, if not um, they, they only need to win in the final game. So it was a bit more comfortable than the previous year. But they will be amongst the favourites alongside your Real Madrid's Milan, Chelsea and uh, perhaps Juventus. And in Group A, we'll finish it off with Monaco, Olympiacos, Deportivo and Liverpool. Uh, best way to put it, really, a group of miscreants, really. I don't know. Olympiacos, again, with a rough team that you never like to travel to. That stereotype again. You've got uh, Monaco, fairly exciting. Most recent finalists, let's not forget, but they're not going to repeat it. You wouldn't have thought um, or get close. Deportivo had proven that with their semi-final recently that they're probably one of the more dangerous teams in the Champions League. Liverpool, meanwhile, they hadn't really done anything upon their return to the Champions League, but obviously historically a huge name. And now they've got in Rafael Benitez, who had worked wonders at Valencia, now at a bigger club, now with the foundations of Gerard Julia, could create something magical. Um, that something magical didn't really transpire, as we know, until match day six. A Liverpool player wouldn't score in match days two, three, four or five. 
you've got their second win coming from an Andrade own goal in La Coruña in a 1-0 win against Deportivo. In fact, Deportivo, they had quite the uh, quite the achievement of scoring zero goals in the group phase, something that I think has been repeated twice in the history of the Champions League, maybe three times. And um, Olympiacos, they were doing their thing. They were doing their thing and 1-0 in their home results, essentially. So as I said, Panathinaikos and Rosenborg, and Galatasaray, as we mentioned last episode, they can't be classed as those teams that are difficult to beat away from home. Olympiacos definitely still can. Uh, so with that 1-0 win against Olympiacos in Piraeus, Liverpool essentially had a second leg of a knockout phase before the knockout phase here. So they have to overcome a one-goal lead. So say the aggregate scoreline is 1-0 from the first leg. Liverpool need to overturn that at Anfield. Now we'll get into the, the nitty-gritty with this because, again... Here we go, plugging um, our Patreon again. But the the Great Games podcast that we do there every Tuesday, on most Tuesdays, um, we've covered um, the Liverpool 3 Olympiacos 1 game in full. And essentially, we all know the beats, don't we? Rivaldo scores for Olympiacos. Yes, that Rivaldo. Um, so Liverpool need three goals at half-time. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? He scores three goals at half-time... Florence Cinema Pongol, Neil Meller, and then, of course, Gerard Yabute. And uh, that is essentially where Liverpool's Champions League campaign picks up. We'll be rejoining that campaign after this short break when we look at the knockout phase with the final headed for Istanbul. Welcome back. So, like last time in the Champions League... The format change. We've got a last 16 knockout phase from now on. And we've got a huge fight feel in uh, the very first last 16 game. We're going to cover Barcelona versus Chelsea. Two teams who, let's be honest, um, since, well, in the Champions League era, haven't really produced much of anything since um, Johan Cruyff's Barcelona got to the 1994 final. Neither team have won. The Champions League in its current guise. Barcelona, of course, have one title from 1992. Chelsea have zero, but with Ronaldinho in one corner, Jose Mourinho on his strong lads, his spine of Drogba, Frank Lampard, John Terry and Petr Cech, it felt like it should have been the final, really, um, obviously. Far from it. Um, Barcelona, claw back two goals at the camp now. Chelsea need to win essentially, and um, the 3-0 up inside 19 minutes, you've obviously got the iconic Ronaldinho toe poke and another goal to put them uh, up on away goals, and you might f- be forgiven for you know being swept up in that ridiculous goal from Ronaldinho to think that, oh, actually, uh, Barcelona actually qualified. Boy, John Terry sneaking a header in there in the 76th minute and Chelsea actually uh, qualified. It could be because, of course, they did because of what has to come in the semi-final, which uh, is mythical by this point, isn't it, really? But uh, another game worthy of the final, perhaps. Real Madrid versus Juventus, maybe if it was played a couple of years prior, maybe. Um, and another game like um, Juventus's travails in the 2002-03 season, which goes to extra time, Marcelo Zalietti there, Um he scored the extra time goal against Barcelona in 2003, does so in 2005 again. And Real Madrid now are well on their way to um, fulfilling that last 16 humiliation like streak, really. 
And uh, this is the very beginning of that still with all the Galacticos. Maybe not in their peak, but um, in their peak off the field and for commercial reasons. That's certainly the most important thing, isn't it, for uh, Florentino Perez? And the... I mean, this is alarmingly different from the previous last 16 knockout phase that we'd had, where the field was really thin. You've got Celta Vigo, you've got Real Sociedad, you've got all these pr- provincial clubs, really. Here we've got, really, four games, I'd say, with um, with Milan versus Manchester United, with Bayern Munich versus Arsenal as well, as well as the two that we've already covered, really, that, that you could say, if that was the final on the poster for whatever year, 2005, and you think, eh, that sort of, I could see that happening, really. Milan versus Man United. Milan, probably pound for pound, player for player, with the manager as well, uh, 2003 winners. Very, very, probably the, probably the best team in world football. Manchester United, although they, they'd taken a bit of a nosedive recently in trying to sort of regenerate their team. Still a big name. Still a big name. A bit like Juventus, really, but without the uh, recent trophies. And uh, Bayern Munich Arsenal, of course. Now, Bayern Munich obviously surrendered. The Bundesliga, but still a huge name, biggest name in German football. Arsenal, invincible. Or at least were. So you got Milan progressing, simply. Let's be honest. Hernan Crespo, goals, kill it, stone dead. 1-0, 1-0. That is the typical Milan way, isn't it? And let's be honest, a cut above Manchester United and were and go through to the quarterfinals. Bayern Munich, Arsenal, a little bit closer. Colotori sneaks an away goal. Um, in Germany, um, but it is a pitiful performance, really. Thierry Henry, his goal at, uh, at Highbury, sets up a bit of a grandstand finish, but Bayern Munich just about cling on to their quarterfinal place. And then you've got Porto versus Inter Milan. Holders bouncing out 1-1 at home. Um, Adrianos takes second leg by the scruff of the neck, continuing his great form for the Milanese club in the Champions League. And then we have Leverkusen versus Liverpool, a bit of a chance for Liverpool to gain a spot of revenge for the 2002 quarter-final. And um, Liverpool look like they're absolutely coasting, to be honest. Luis Garcia scores an incredible goal. And um, to be fair, Luis Garcia, big difference for Liverpool this time round in the Champions League. Didn't really perform too well in the in the, um, in the the Premier League, don't seem to remember. But in the Champions League, Luis Garcia was incredible. Um, scores some really important goals in this tie, which... After the first leg with uh, Leverkusen scoring an away goal at the death at Anfield, you think maybe there's a there's a tie on here, but um, Liverpool win 3-1 again in Germany and uh, progress 6-2 on aggregate. And then you've got four real provincial clubs. Again, I'm, I'm leaving Lyon and Monaco till the end again in the last 16 when they're probably one of the couple of the biggest clubs here in this tournament. But um, Lyon go through, Werder Bremen a bit unlucky with a draw, let's be honest, and could have been could have gone on to be something really in the 2000s, but um, they do go to pieces in the first leg, 3-0, and then Leon thrash them 7-2 in the second leg, which, uh, well, yes, one of those, isn't it? A um, bit of the inexperience really there from Werder Bremen. Um, and Leon, let's, they're not this incredibly experienced team just because of one semi-final, but they've been around the uh, the circuit a few times by this point, the uh, they know how to get the win. But is Monaco, who are, like Porto, barreling out of the tournament the last 16 there, uh, return to the final, quashed by the uh, the megastar's dream, Jan Venegar of Hesselink, with the uh, with the away goal for PSV. It leaves Monaco needing three goals. Um, instead, they concede again and lose 3-0 on aggregate. So, we've got 
AC Milan versus Inter. A reunion from the 2003 semi-final, which I climbed onto my soapbox for <laughs> in terms of the away goals. Away goals wouldn't come into it this time round. Um, 2003 will be remembered by me for the wrong reasons in terms of the away goals. 2005's quarter-final will be remembered for the for the wrong reasons, really, with uh, Dida getting hit with a flare and um, Inter Milan lose it automatically, although they were bouncing out 3-0 on aggregate. You get the iconic picture of uh, Marco Materazzi and uh, Rui Costa stand beyond, standing before a well, literal hellfire of uh, of uh, flares there. But um, yeah, it, Milan were it was nothing like the 2003 semi final. Milan were a cut above their um, their housemates, as it were, really. And uh, Milan progressed five nil on aggregate. Chelsea versus Bayern Munich. These games are all hu- absolutely huge now. Um, Maybe with the exception of Leon versus PSV, which features an all-too-rare penalty shootout um, <laughs> with um, Eric Abidal and Michael Essien missing there, which killed Leon's return to the semi-finals and made PSV return to the semi-finals of the European Cup for the first time since 1988. And that year, of course, they won the treble, the forgotten treble. But Chelsea versus Bayern, Liverpool, Juventus, two absolutely mammoth games. And these quarterfinals... Although they didn't have the entertainment of the uh, of the previous year's quarterfinals, they did have the the star power, I believe. And you do need a bit of bit of both, really, I believe, um, to make a, a truly great round of Champions League football. Entertainment, drama, firepower, and the firepower on show at Stamford Bridge between Chelsea and Bayern was a goal for some reason. It it probably even for Chelsea fans might maybe forgotten a little bit in the grand sort of scheme of their great decade and decade and a half since always burned into my mind I've no idea why it's not an earth-shatteringly spectacular goal but Frank Lampard's swivel and half volley into the corner always remember that for some reason or another really just like love the aesthetic of it a bit like I guess Raul's goal in the 2002 Champions League final which is Probably, the, obviously, overshadowed by Zidane's goal, but the aesthetic of it and Deco's little chip in the 2004 final. This one, though, was a lot of time for it and a great finish by Frank Lampard here. And really is the turning point for Chelsea. Now, we have mentioned that Bayern Munich are not the team that they used to be. Um, Chelsea are on a completely different trajectory on on the way up. On the way up, and uh, Lampard scores two goals in a 4 2 win. And um, Michael Ballack does make it interesting for Bayern Munich, but um, in the second leg, but Chelsea easily through, easily through. Didier Drogba scoring, big game player, as we uh, as we have said. Liverpool and Juventus met in the quarterfinals, a fantastic tribute um, paid to the uh, Juventus fans lost at Hazel in the 1985 final. And this is the first time that Liverpool and Juventus have actually met since then. Of course, Liverpool. This is probably their this is their third season back in the Champions League since um, since that disaster. Um, it's only their second time in the knockout phase of the the European Cup since returning um, after the final in 1985. Whilst of course Juventus went on to become probably one of the biggest teams in Europe. Juventus looks set for an advantage despite a 2-1 loss at Anfield. Fabio Cannavaro scoring an away goal for Juve there, but I think it's you, you, you turn to the the spectacular win against Olympiacos, of course, the final for obvious reasons, the the semi-final win with Luis Garcia afterwards. But for me, the 
the thing that sort of epitomises Rafael Benitez's Liverpool, particularly in Europe, is the second leg of this quarterfinal. Juventus need a win. That's essentially what's going to happen. It's not going to be a 3-2 win and Liverpool take it on away goals. That's never going to happen for, for both teams. That's never going to happen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's characteristic for Liverpool and especially under Rafa Benitez because they need to grind, dig the heels and grind out the result. Nil-nil. They do it and they get out. Under Gerard Houllier, under roughly the same players, I know they've got Xabi Alonso and Luis Garcia, who have done wonders for Liverpool in the Champions League. Swap them out for two other players, maybe, whatever. Um, with Gerard Houllier in charge, I don't think that result ever gets matched. Liverpool never go through with Gerard Houllier. Um, although he did lay the foundations, and that's certainly commendable. You've got this supremely Rafa performance here and two more in the semi-finals let's not forget really because it is a nil-nil away from home again in the Champions League at Stamford Bridge um, which suit, suited both Chelsea and Liverpool suited both Mourinho and Benitez really because that's the sort of result that Mourinho wanted he did so in the 2004 semi-final against Deportivo for Porto but it's those sorts of performances, the nil-nils rather than the 3-1 and the 3-3 comeback, those three-goal halftime comebacks that have probably lived on more in the memory. It's the nil-nils in the away games, in the matches that might get forgotten. You know, the Luis Garcia goal from the moon in the second leg, which settles the tie between Chelsea and Liverpool. That gets remembered. Maybe his performance against Leverkusen gets remembered. The, the, the Gerard last-minute goal, the penalties in the final in Istanbul, the miracle of Istanbul, but the nil-nils are the absolute crux of Liverpool's Champions League win, essentially, and uh, joining them in the final. It's one of Milan or PSV, and this looked fairly cut and dry, but as we know, Milan have had the propensity to um, lose in dramatic circumstances in the past 12 months, and they looked as though they'd got one foot into the final, John Dal Thomason's late goal really looked as though it's hammered that home, but after obviously the quarterfinal defeat to Deportivo, they should know that they weren't home and host, especially considering Park G Sung's goal for uh, for PSV inside nine minutes at um, in Eindhoven. And then Philip Koku scores after the hour, which uh, seemed as though we got a penalty shootout on our hands, another PSV penalty shootout in the Champions League. But it was... Uh, was Ambrosini saving that from from happening in stoppage time? That crucial away goal, which means PSV need uh, 
needed two goals in stoppage time. Koku got one back even later than that. Um, but still, um, Milan squeaked through on away goals. And we might not have the story of the, the miracle of Istanbul with it. Liverpool may have may have won quite comfortably. Alternatively, they may have lost quite comfortably as well to PSV, perhaps um, underestimating their opponents. Who knows? That is a what-if, isn't it? But regardless, it's AC Milan, it's Liverpool in 2005, Champions League final, which we, uh, if you're wondering, we will be covering that on the Great Games podcast very, very soon as we look back at uh, numerous Champions League finals played in by English teams. It started off, you may remember, embarrassingly for Liverpool. First, a reckless, nervous, I guess you would say, nervous is probably the better descriptor, really, Jimmy Traore. Gives Milan a free kick in a, a quite profitable situation. Proved profitable when uh, Paolo Maldini scores inside a minute. And from then on, you've got Andrea Perlo, you've got Kaká running the show in that 4-1-3-2 that they play. Or 4-3-1-2. Either way, it's a diamond, right? <laughs> you've got yeah, you've got Sedorf and you've got Gattuso, the runners. You've got Perlo dictating from deep. You've got Kaká in behind Crespo and Shevchenko. Kaká's assist for the third goal is out of this world out of this world one of the best assists in Champions League final history for me long ball it's just inches away from Jamie Carragher's studs this line I think it's Jamie Carragher anyway but that's 3-0 after 44 minutes Liverpool obviously have a lot to do um, Didi Haman gets uh, told to warm up he's warming up whilst the uh, team talk takes place and Haman's expecting Jimmy Triori to come off and um, Liverpool going to a three at the back. Um, but when he comes out, it's Steve Finnan who's um, injured and can't continue. So Jimmy Triori goes into a back three. And um, you've got Haman and Alonso looking to nullify Kaka. You've got Gerard and Luis Garcia looking to nullify Perlo on the other end of it with uh, one or the one or two from the uh, the two double pivots there to uh, look after Sadoff and Gattuso. And it works, to be fair. And um, although Milan still dominates in the second half in extra time, Liverpool just needs six minutes. And six minutes is when uh, Steven Gerrard heads in, when Vladimir Smitzer squirts one into the bottom corner and uh, when Gerrard takes a little bit of a tumble under G- Gennaro Gattuso, but... Uh, uh, you can't really, uh, for the story alone, you can't really <laughs> argue with it. Um, Alonso misses the penalty, but uh, of course, as we know, rebounds to score. A rebound which Shevchenko wouldn't do in the extra time period, which still for me is the greatest save I've ever seen. When uh, Dudek saves the first shot and he's on his sat on his bum on the line, Shevchenko absolutely blasts it from five yards out and he just punches it over the bar and it's incredible really um, and then obviously Shevchenko wouldn't get the benefit of a rebound from the penalty in the shootout as he goes down the middle Dudek spaghetti legged <laughs> Jamie Carragher reminded him to do so um, before the shootout started and uh, he saves from Shevchenko Liverpool are five-time champions of Europe Milan have to fight another day we'll find out when they next win their Champions League very very soon well not very soon as next week we're beginning our summer break. We'll be back on the, checking my calendar, 27th of July. But in the meantime, we'll have some special podcasts for free from our Patreon uh, page to tide you over until the uh, till the new season starts. We'll probably have a season preview ahead of the 2022-23 season, of course. And um, after that, we'll probably return to the 
nostalgic programming of Le Grandesi Keeps, of the Barclays, of course. But until then, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for supporting the channel if you do so. And until then, see they. Have a brilliant summer. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.